When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the first time in a little bit, we've got a break. Today was a day off for the 49ers. We are back for the final stretch tomorrow. But there's a lot to recap after the first full week of training camp practices. Six through the door. Three still on the way. I've got my guy Vish here to break it all down and talk some interesting news after Adam Schefter had a uh, an appearance on the Pat McAfee Show today. All after this. Welcome back to the program, everybody. It's been a nice, fun weekend. Perfect way to wrap up this kind of first stretch of training camp practices because I've got Vish here on the channel. Vish, how you doing, man? I'm good, dude. How are you? That's quite the intro. It kept going there for a little bit. I was going to be ready, have my game face on when it comes back to us, and it kept going there, and then the countdown finally came. Yeah, I mean, you see, this is this is my cell to people on the show. You can come on and you can just get hyped up with a nice little intro and then we get right back into the show. So uh, that's 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 the way that we started. But uh, Vish, appreciate you coming on. And I um, mean, we got a fun docket today. Oh, yeah, we do. I mean, you're the new man on the street. Like you're the guy that's right now. If we need information on training camp, just like how you turn on, you know, the notifications for Schefter and Shams and all those guys, you have to th- turn on 49ers training camp notifications on Rohan. Because he's given the most updates right now. Hey, I mean, I try my best to try and give you guys everything that, you know, we can behind the scenes, everything that we've seen during training camp. And that's a that's a good way to start because, you know, six six days in or six practices in through training camp, been a lot of ups and downs. Obviously, the the heart of the talk is at the quarterback position. And so that'll be a nice way to start through the show. Talking about quarterbacks, I'm sure you've heard a lot. You know, you, you've talked to a couple of people as well and streamed with a couple of people who are, who've been there. What's just kind of been your takeaway hearing everything behind the scenes or hearing everything that's been going on about the quarterback debacle and all the chats that have ensued because of it? Yeah, it's kind of what I thought it was. Um, I said before that these type of quarterback controversy, whatever competition situations you want to call it, are typically catastrophic. The only two in my lifetime I can remember being successful are the two Seattle's had um, the one with Russell Wilson and Matt Flynn. And then the one last year with Geno Smith and Drew Locke, like this doesn't work. And I would say my number one takeaway watching the day-to-day reactions of highs and lows for each quarterback is that it's kind of a case. What I thought the Niners don't have a real answer at quarterback. Maybe Brock Purdy is a lot of people. I mean, I, I I'm unable to discern because There are so many mixed reports on how he's actually doing that I'm unable to discern what he's actually doing out there. Um, And so with given all of that, it's kind of just not a great situation, but I think they are making the best of the situation they are, they have created with how they're handling it right now. I will say that as a positive. I I think so too. And I mean, the, the first day, right. Or the second, first and second day, the first day that Brock Purdy got out, which was day two of training camp, I was skeptical. I was skeptical of how they were going to make this work because of the quarterback rep split. That was a huge story because Trey Lance and Sam Darnold were essentially getting snaps once every five set of plays. Right. Now, the 49ers have changed things this offseason as compared to last. Their sets of plays are to accommodate their quarterbacks. They are not going with a lengthy five, six set of plays before handing it off to the next quarterback it's three to four and then it's the next guy so it's not as big of a break because they've got to account for more reps and as a result they've created 
uh, leeway for a fourth quarterback to enter the, uh, you know, to enter the phase. Uh, and early on, Lance and Darnold didn't get as many reps as I thought they should because Brandon mm-hmm. Allen got every single third team rep. They have, however, changed that over the last few practices, um, especially with pad starting, where Lance and Darnold now, you know, they, they skip Allen every once in the rotation. So it's not that they're skipping Lance or Donald, they're skipping right. Allen every every once in the rotation, which is what you'd expect for a three-headed course, horse at quarterback and the amount of uncertainty that they have. Um, not only, you know, with how Purdy will fully look once week one comes, but also who the hell is going to be the backup with, uh, you know, with the what we've heard about Trey Lance right. this offseason, what we heard about Sam Donald this offseason and things like that. Yeah, no, there. you said a lot there. I, I would say the one thing is the – change in Brandon Allen's reps that way felt awfully reactive to the reaction that was originally happening when they when people found out the reps distribution I I I think a lot of this stuff is a little bit overrated Mm -hmm. I think people put stock in certain things just because they want to be informed and they feel like by doing this they're more informed like one of the things that I I've really despised and I think the Niners kind of culture has taken discourse like with how this is covered to like a completely different level is this training camp stats. Stats. Yeah. Like it's absolute bullshit, man. (laughs) I I don't know what this is, but like everybody has a 60%, 61%, 64%, 62%. And it's like, if, if it justifies how I want to cover the quarterbacks, like I remember a couple years ago, Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance thing, the move the ball period was a big thing, right? Like efficiency in the move the ball period versus versus efficiency on other parts of practice. I, I think that there's just issues with how this thing is being talked about. I'm just waiting till preseason. Um, it's hard not as a fan to go through the daily highs and lows when I read updates from people like you, like this person had a good practice, this person didn't, all those kinds of things. Like I immediately feel that emotion. But it's hard to go through the ups and downs and try to actually get a real opinion of this is what's happening in camp. A lot of people like you are doing a great job providing the best information you can. But we're talking about watching practice from a fair distance away and everything happens this fast. And you don't have a big screen with a replay and those kinds of things either, right? It's like you're watching the football live and whatever you catch in that moment is whatever you catch. And you can only describe what you catch. So it's really hard in a lot of different ways. And and that's where I would say like one of the things that went on today, right? Like everybody felt like Brock Purdy had somewhat struggled in his return. And Kyle Shanahan was very positive in how he talked about Brock Purdy to the media. And we know that he's not a guy that usually praises players who aren't doing so hot in camp. Like we've heard him talk about Garoppolo in camp for years, (laughs) even when he came back from injury and stuff like that. And so I, I just think there's such a difference of opinion on who's actually playing well and who's not. And I'm kind of sick of these like, oh, he's 61%, so he's good. He's 41%, so he's bad. It's it's annoying. And I'll say this as a reporter who's there. I don't like it either. The reason that I tweet out those stats, I was not going to – like, first of all, I didn't know that this uh, – a lot of people were going to tweet out this – like through six practices type of thing. Jeez, that, that was a full wave. And then because of that, I have people going on other people's posts and then adding me saying, what were your stats? We want to hear yours because we heard everybody else's. And so because of that, went through, did it for a select few group of fans who wanted to know. But the reality is, here's how I look at it. I don't like doing that. I also don't like the way that it's utilized on Twitter because you really can't explain your thoughts. That's why I prefer my articles. That's why I prefer a stream Mm -hmm. where I could go through every single throw, take you through the process of the throw and allow you guys to interpret the way that I'm seeing it um, based on the process of the throw as to whether you chart it as a good play, as a bad play, however you want to chart it. I'm trying to give you guys the context to where you guys can interpret it as much as possible. I don't like the statistical kind of portion of it because if we're being honest like we've probably seen 10 12 screen right, passes right. you're not going to see somebody tweet out oh he was 62 percent but four of those passes were screen passes nobody's going to say that right, right? they're just going to give you the 62 percent a couple of passes bad at the line of scrimmage a couple of the passes were throwaways you won't you won't hear any of that so in in all reality the numbers don't matter and that leads me to this question and here. by the way with Go that ahead. we put the results on the quarterback right 
the ball yeah. hits the ground, we say it's the quarterback's fault. If the ball is completed, we say it's the quarterback's fault. And it's positive on the quarterback because that's what we can see in that split second. Well, when you go back and evaluate the film, right, which we're not doing, Kyle Shanahan yeah. is doing, incomplete passes could be charted as positive reps based on the quarterback's process. And, you know, it might be a good play by the defender, but whatever the process that gets you there is reliable, consistent, um, repeatable process. And completions could be like, well, yeah, he completed that throw, but that's not where we wanted him to go with the ball, too. Right. And so that's where that's there. And then there could be reps where the ball is not thrown by the quarterback and it's held on to, and then he runs outside of the pocket. And now you're charting that as a positive, where the other guy might have thrown the ball and it might have been incomplete, but Shanahan probably values the guy who actually threw it, even though it was incomplete versus the guy who didn't. So there's so much nuance to this. And we have just turned it into, hey, quarterback A was eight for 11, two touchdowns, one drop pick. Like, that's how we that's how we talk about it. Like, what is this? The funniest part to me, I think, of all this is the touchdowns. Dude, in red zone, there are certain quarterbacks that get more throws than others. And because they, they want to they want to incorporate the run game. And also, down in distance. Hell, he could have been throwing a five-yard out route that would have been a touchdown, but mm -hmm. because they're at the 15-yard line, it's not a touchdown. So there are a lot of different like factors going into this. It's not just that you can take a number and run with it because you know you believe it, it fits your narrative. And that's the biggest thing, right? The reason that a lot of people want to see these numbers is because they want to uh, they want those numbers to fit the narrative of whatever quarterback of whatever player that they desire or if they don't like any, you know, just to to uh, to throw shade at each quarterback and things like that. Right. That leads me to this question here. Who do I think has been the best quarterback just watching? I can't tell you an answer here. Just because every quarterback has seen their really lows and really highs. Sam Darnold going into day six was the most consistent. That's something that I, I was mm -hmm. saying. I thought he stacked solid, solid days. Nothing special, but solid days of consistency through five days. And then he comes out and throws the worst practice of any quarterback in, in training camp on day six. Um, and so, you know, you you – it's tough because I think every quarter you could point to every quarterback as having some highs. Every quarterback is having some lows. And on top of that, a lot of people want to use the word rust with Brock Purdy, which elevates his performance in some eyes compared to others, whereas right. some are just truly just evaluating the performance that Brock Purdy has. And so, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. As for who I personally believe the best quarterback is, I think Lance and Darnold have a higher edge on Purdy just because, first of all, they've had more volume. And second of all, I think they're, they're, their positive days have just been a little better than Purdy's positive days. But if I were, if I were, you know, I'm not going to give a definitive answer just because I think that it's so fluctuating that you can't really um, say one specific quarterback. And with that said, I mean, what does that necessarily say about the quarterback position at the moment? I'm not exactly sure. And it's, it's, it can be a little bit overrated too, right? Mm -hmm. Like I remember Dante Whitner used to call Scott Tolzien baby breeze. Because he used to light it up in practice, right? Nick Mullins used to be the guy in practice, right? Brian Hoyer in 2017, I remember Niners reporters were saying this is the best quarterback they've seen in an offseason because he just threw the crap out of the ball against a terrible defense um, in camp. So it, it's like a, some of this stuff, I feel like it's, it's, it's a little bit perspective. It's a little bit dependent on your perspective, what you have seen, what you haven't seen before who you've seen, what it's supposed to look like, your ability to actually evaluate, well, was that a good rep? Was that a bad rep? And that's where some of this stuff just gets very skewed. Um, I, I, by the way, part of the reason I'm so skeptical, no hate to you, Rohan, or anybody else who's covering camp, the part of the reason I'm such a hater is because I felt like last year, and this is to no fault of anybody else, it's actually my own fault, I, I rode the up and down the wave way. of this guy looks good, this guy looks good, all of that. And I felt like I was led astray by information. Now, it wasn't because anybody was providing bad information. Everybody is giving the information that they see. It was that my ability to consume that information secondhand and emotionally react to it was just not positive. I was consuming information, imagining wrong things um, and stuff like that. And so this year I'm trying not to go through that ups and downs and all of that. And so that's where it is. Right. And it's like, I mean, you talk about the ups and downs, right? Like two days ago, it felt like Trey Lance's eulogy 
was getting written, right? Like that first set of three practices when Brock Purdy returned and he missed a few throws and all of that. Now, right, the next three practices, you get a day off. You like it? It sounds like he lit it up those three practices, and everybody's like, "See, it all changed the positive turnaround." Well, how do you weigh those three practices versus first, these the three, three practices, yeah. right? And that's where that's where this turns into just uh, in the moment, us, uh, you know, a very much react to what's going on right now, and we lose perspective on the entire situation. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think that that's the best way to put it. It's Everything that you hear, including what comes from my own mouth, I'll say this straight up, has to be taken with a grain of salt. There is so much that goes on. First of all, like the uh, the way that you know some plays are, the sacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that go on. And again, we can only see this once. I have said to Jesse Naylor, who I've stood next to for a couple of these practices, man, I wish we had the All-22. Because right. like – even even when we watch regular NFL games, right, there's that desire to go back and see what you missed. And there's all, always something that you missed compared to the first time that you watch it just because you're you're getting to see everything from a bird's eye view and running over it multiple times to truly understand what's going on during that play. We don't get that opportunity here. And our vision on some of these plays can also be, you know, a little uh, a little shifted just because you probably are watching the progression of the play. So you might not necessarily watch what the the reads are, you know, one, two, three, four. You might just focus on where the ball goes. You might not be watching the offensive line. And maybe if you're watching the reads and progressions, you might not be watching whether a sack occurred on that play. And so there's so much going on and things like that, which is why I still encourage you guys to take it all with a grain of salt. Now, real quick, before we get on to the important part of the show. Throwing quarterbacks away. Um, Do want to give a shout out to everybody that is tuned in. T-Man27 here. Akshay, thank you for tuning in. As well as Jamal, I appreciate you for coming in. Those of you guys that uh, are here, make sure you ask your questions. I'm here to answer any questions. Vish, obviously, is one of the smartest minds in this business. Make sure you guys drop your questions down below, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely go ahead and answer them. Akshay here with a comment about What's wrong with having three capable quarterbacks? I think referring to when you pointed out the Seahawks and you know how there's not been many cases where multiple quarterbacks in in that room where they're competing has turned out. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none, that type of statement. It, it's what it's not even this? that. It's not even the old is that I think that's a John Madden adage. But yeah. it, it's not even as much that as like, yes, you want to have a deep quarterback room, like the backup quarterback is valued and all of that, right? But when we're talking about having three capable quarterbacks, right? If, if we're talking about these three guys, where do they rank among starters in the league, right? Who, where are you putting them? Probably all three uh, guys are probably not bottom, cracking the top twenty. Yeah, at the bottom, right? Yeah. Right. The highest is going to be Brock Purdy. He's going to be somewhere. I mean, yeah, he's going to be somewhere in a little bit above. It's it's only eight games, but yeah, so. Uh, yeah, again, like it's it's so much uncertainty around the situation. You've got a guy who's played eight games coming off a major injury. You've got a guy who's literally played like maybe 10 quarters, maybe, you know, how, how much ever you want to count it, in three years of NFL action after coming off a year in college where he played one game. You've got a guy who's got the exact opposite, a significant amount of starts and just didn't look good in a majority of those starts, hence why he's here as a backup on a one-year deal. And so you've got three capable quarterbacks, but truly, you know, it, it comes down to how does this team achieve their goal of winning a Super Bowl? And usually when there's a quarterback competition, unless it's, you know, a rookie or something like that, usually those don't bode necessarily too well um, in terms of long-term success and truly achieving that that goal. And even the the examples that you pointed out, right? Um, obviously, Wilson, I, I'm not sure if that was the year he, you know, made it to the Super Bowl. That I don't was, no, that though, was right? the year that was way, yeah. rookie year, him versus Matt Flynn. And, I, and the same thing with him versus Geno. Now, I would say the one difference in how they handled the quarterback competition, because here's why it doesn't work, okay? Because you never fully get invested in one quarterback, right? And if you start the season one and two, two and two, then you're calling for the other quarterback immediately because this guy is not exactly get it, getting it done. And once you go to the other quarterback, you kill this guy's confidence. 
But the other quarterback didn't start over this guy for a reason. So he's not that good either. So you don't really end up going anywhere because you don't get a guy. And what Seattle had in that situation is one, both Russell and Geno played very well from week one. And it felt like Pete Carroll kind of took a step aside and empowered both of those guys to take over the team as a quarterback. There was no Matt Flynn over Russell Wilson's shoulder. There was no Drew Locke over um, Geno Smith's shoulder. He kind of just went with those two guys once they won the competition. And whereas the Niners anointed a guy and then brought Jimmy Garoppolo back over his shoulder, right? They, They did the exact opposite in that situation. And that's where I feel like we have a situation where you're not really getting completely behind any of the guys because you've got Brock who's coming off of this injury and all of that. So you can't be a hundred percent invested there, not because you don't love him or anything, because he's a health question mark until you get to the point that he's there week one suited up and playing. He's on his way to getting there, right? You have Trey Lance, who's an enormous enigma. You invested this much in him. He's a very talented player. But clearly there's a difference in what you wanted him to be and what he is because you've put him in a backup quarterback competition a year after giving him the job when he only played five quarters in between. Um, And then he is historically the least experienced quarterback we have ever seen. And experience accounts for something, and there's a level of growth that he needs to go through playing. And then you have Sam Darnold, who's trying to resurrect his career after 55 games of not living up to what he was billed to be coming out of USC. This is not a situation where you have three guys that are exactly knowing what their roles are, fit exactly that, and you know what you're getting from them. All three guys have massive question marks that we think that in their best case, they're three capable QBs, but all right. three guys could be three milk duds next year too. No, I, I mean, that's, that's very, that's very true. And that's the, that's the, that's the real fluidity about this situation. You're hoping through the seven years that Kyle Shanahan's been here, that you were able to find that true, true answer where you don't have to go through year-to-year fluidity. At the moment, we can't necessarily say that that question has been answered this offseason yet. Is there a guy who I believe will end up being quarterback one based on everything we've seen? Yes. It seems very, very clear that Brock Purdy is the guy who they assume they believe will assume quarterback one duties come week one. But still, there is a level of fluidity with the quarterback situation that needs to be monitored. And truly, we are not going to be sold that he is that top, like he's the guy until we see a full body of work from him, which likely at least begins this season. I I will say this. um, If they if Brock Purdy makes it to week one, right, and he does what we think is going to happen, which is start based on what he did last year. The best case scenario for the 49ers fulfilling their Super Bowl hopes is that he shouldn't have to fear having Trey Lance over his shoulder, Sam Darnold over his shoulder. He should have the longest rope and longest leash. Whomever starts week one, I think that should be the situation. I don't think that will be, but in terms of how that situation should be handled, I think you have to ride that guy all the way through, and you're going to put your season in that guy's hands unless he gets hurt. Yeah. I did lie, however, though, about um, quarterbacks ending because I forgot Adam Schefter came out today, gave a little comment about all three of the 49ers quarterbacks, the one that caught the most traction, Trey Lance. Schefter has said before that the 49ers have fielded offers for Trey Lance, have seen uh, and then also brought up that Sam Donald is a guy who they believe could be the quarterback to a guy who they are very impressed on. Schefter didn't necessarily backtrack today, but he said they feel that Trey Lance had a good offseason. He's made a lot of progress and essentially um, said the 49ers believe that they're in a good position with Trey Lance right now. Still affirmed that they think that they're impressed with Sam Darnold and believe that he could win that quarterback two role. And also said that they've been impressed with Brock Purdy, essentially saying that they're good with the three quarterbacks they have. What did you take away from what Schefter said today? I mean, it's how the 49ers should feel, right? It's the most optimistic view you can have on their quarterbacks, right? Brock Purdy is exactly who they want him to be, and he's fully healthy coming back to being that, right? Then you have Darnold, who's the guy who they're going to... Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Turn into Steve Young, apparently. Right. And he's that guy. And then, of course, you have where to grow up. I guess Rohan just left me here. Um, I'm good. I'm good. There we oh, go. he's back. He's back. He's back. Um, and then you have Trey Lance, right? Who's a guy that I guess I mean, so far, I, I don't think you can say Trey Lance has failed, but the pick has not worked out the way you would have expected. Right. They've gotten minimal contribution there. There's no doubt about it. Whether whose fault it is, we can discuss that all day. But, you know, that that there is this case where they haven't gotten contribution from that use of three first round picks. And they're saying, yeah, like he's improving. Like, uh, again, I'm not sure. I'm kind of skeptical of this entire quarterback setup. I've been skeptical this entire offseason. I've been Mr. Hater on it. But I think if you're having an optimistic view of where they are and what the best case scenario for this situation is it's exactly what Schefter laid out yeah I mean I I agree I think it's like kind of warming up to the fact that the 49ers right now believe that they're going to carry the three quarterbacks they have on the roster and in a way it's just a uh, an iteration of what they've seen from this offseason and I don't think that Schefter's lying with any any facet of what he's saying when we talk about Sam Darnold, I do believe the 49ers are impressed. I mean, like I said, before the dud that he uh, that he threw on Tuesday, he was the most consistent quarterback of the group. And you could arguably said he looked like the best quarterback of the group. Again, training camp, take it with a grain of salt, like I said. But it's understandable to say why he's impressed because he's the newest guy in this offense. Trey Lance, it seemed like he's had his best offseason to date, and it seems like he's been in the best um, shape best form as a quarterback that he has been in his entire career hence why it makes sense that they're impressed with him and Purdy obviously well he's impressed because he came back a lot earlier than personally I ever thought that he'd come back from this injury and is yeah he's not necessarily 100% in terms of getting there every day playing in all the on all, all the team drill sessions but he he's he's out there he's throwing a majority of the time and uh, I think that that's a good sign for the 49ers I don't necessarily take too much away from it. Like you said, a little skepticism is still there on my end, but I can understand where he's coming from with these comments. Just still a little interesting understanding maybe like four days, three days ago, we heard the exact opposite, right? About Trey Lance, like you pointed out earlier. Uh, hell, you said the eulogy for Trey Lance. I mean, we pointed – we. I saw a New York Post article saying that Trey Lance is really struggling um, and that, you know, he, he he could be well on his way out in San Francisco. I mean, obviously, that could still be the case in some uh, reality, but it's an interesting, just an interesting fluctuation of comments um, over the last few days with the situation. I, I think it's a weird situation, too, right? Because the Niners have not, like, built its value, like, in terms of building – Trey Lance's value in terms of publicly talking about him in a positive way. Like they just have not done that. Right. Like they've never like talked him up. It feels like the national media is always criticizing him, whatever. Then we get this like small spurt. This has been happening. I would say the last two years, right? We get this small spurt. Like we right. get this week of positivity towards the poor guy. Everybody talks about him. And then we go back to this month of just negativity where everybody's like, I don't know. They don't like him. They never wanted to draft him in the first place and all of that. So I, you know, I, it's, he sounds like he's put in incredible amount of work, not only to return from his injury, but improve himself to try and change the minds of people who might've already written him off before this off season, based on how people were talking about the situation nationally. Um, and so credit to him for that. But I, I, I think ultimately this is kind of, a tough situation for him just because yeah it sounds like again like just three days ago it felt like there was a national writing of this eulogy like purdy was back 
Sam Darnold was having like a couple good days in camp and everybody was like, see, he's not that guy. He missed this throw. He missed that throw. And then bang, three days later, he has three sounds like stellar days of camp. Um, and look at this. Everybody's like, oh, they're really positive on him. They're very happy with the improvements he makes. If he has a couple of other bad days, it'll go back to probably the national right. eulogy, which is the annoying thing about what happens during this time. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a fluctuating situation, which is, again, the point. You take everything with a grain of salt. You don't don't overreact, like Vish said in the beginning. Don't overreact to the information that you see. Take it, obviously, but take it with the context that's provided. Make sure you don't necessarily ride the wave because especially in a nine-day period where really every single day in that period is heavily scrutinized, there's going to be you know, the highs and lows for every player and things like that. I mean, I, I think that it's just the fluidity of a, a a situation like training camp and even more intensified when you talk about how the Niners and their quarterback right. situation is currently. Right, exactly. Well said. Let's move on, though. Position battles, because there's been a few of them and a couple of interesting ones. I'll highlight the ones that I believe are some of the bigger ones in camp, and I want to hear your thoughts on you know, the players at the positions and things like that. Okay. Running back is one that I, I mean, that's one that I thought was going to be an interesting one. Not obviously with Christian McCaffrey, he's set, but the backups because Jordan Mason was a guy who had made huge strides last year. Mitchell's been a guy who's been positive when on the field. Question is his availability and Davis price, at least coming into camp seemed like he could be on the bubble. If one of those undrafted guys, um, you know, he, he could potentially be there. The, the tides have changed a little bit in that running back room. It seems like the top four right now seem a little more firm. What have you uh, liked based on what you've heard um, in the running back room so far? Yeah, again, it's hard because I'm going based off what I've heard. But given what I've seen from the running back room and what I know about the players based on previously watching them and researching them at different points in their careers, I'm a big Ty Davis Price fan. I liked him before the draft. I actually liked the draft pick. Now, I'll preface this by saying, Last year, I, I was a big Trey Sermon fan. I thought the talent would win out. He didn't even make the roster. And so this doesn't seem like the similar case, but if you remember at this point last year, John Lynch was raving about the shape that Trey Sermon is. Now, he didn't follow up being in that great shape with having a great camp, hence why he was cut. And it sounds like Davis Price is not only in great shape, but he's also having a great camp. But I'm a big fan of the player. I think when we're talking about just pure talent from a physical standpoint, like tangible physical ability, um, he's got the most of the backup backs in terms of his size speed combination, how rocked up he is, how hard he runs, how aggressive he is. I think he's got the most. Um, Jordan Mason's like everybody's favorite player. I know everybody loves him. Um, and it sounds like he's having a strong camp besides the fumbles, but we know yeah. how the Niners are with the doghouse, with the fumbling, ask Matt Breida, ask Raheem Mostert for a little bit. It's not a nice place to be, so that exists. And then finally, I, I think Laybourne's a good player. He's very talented. I've heard some very positive things about what he's been doing in camp. And Elijah Mitchell obviously is, you know, a bottom half of the league starter, but he is a starting caliber back in the league. He's a guy that can carry the workload. Um, and he's a guy that doesn't fumble and he runs hard and he's fast. And so I think that most likely what happens is that they move in Elijah Mitchell and they go with the young running back room of labor Mason, um, and, uh, TDP behind yeah. Christian McCaffrey. Now, is that wise? Will they prefer to keep a veteran they have in the past, right? They kept, kept a Jeff Wilson last year and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see, but that's what I would prefer them to do just because I feel like Mitchell probably has the most open market value, perhaps TDP, not sure there, but I would love for them to pick up another fifth round pick as they did with Jeff Wilson by moving one of those backs. I, I like your assessment. So of the running backs, really this year, I was just looking for competition. I didn't care. I don't care who wins the running back two position or anything like that. Cause I feel confident in the options San Francisco has. And I've been right. pleased. I think that all like I, I've gotten more competition than I expected because I didn't think Tyree Davis price. I, I didn't really know what to think of him given that we didn't hear too much of him in the OTA period. And then now he he's come on a mission. He's run hard, good ball security, but he, he looks like a different player than he did last year. 
He is going downhill. His decisiveness is much better. And also match that with his vision and all of the stuff that you saw on his college film. And that makes you for a good short area running back that can get you consistent yardage if you place him in, you know, in early down situations. He's also a solid pass protector. Haven't right. haven't seen too much of that right in camp. I haven't focused on the one on ones with the running backs, but that's a that's just another added benefit. So, um, you know, you see the running backs getting some ca- uh, the, some passes thrown their way too, and so you, you're hoping you know that one of those guys can develop also into a solid pass catcher alongside their running capabilities. But all three have looked good, and that brings up the intriguing uh, scenario that you brought up: Do you trade Elijah Mitchell, or do you kind of do what you did last year? roll with the veteran and then trade him at the deadline and allow that, you know, that eight week period to get an undrafted rookie like Kalen Laybourne ready. The obviously downside of that is that you're mm-hmm. carrying an extra running back. Whereas last year, the 49ers kept a same amount of running backs on their roster because they unloaded Jeff Wilson and then got right. back Christian McCaffrey. And so they didn't carry that extra back. The only thing is, do you want to carry, you know, five running backs this year when you have such big, uh, you know, you have a lot of players that you look to carry this additionally right, right, with the right. three quarterbacks that you're going. Now, to me, I, I would feel comfortable if the 49ers did move off Mitchell, but I do still have skepticism with the health of this group. Again, that's funny, understanding that Mitchell is also a good portion of the skepticism with the health, but I wouldn't mind him being moved. He, he was my top candidate to be moved in training camp, if anybody, apart from one of the linebackers. And so I wouldn't mind if he gets moved. I think you could get recoup similar value like you did with Jeff Wilson, which is looking like a great trade for the 49ers. Right. But uh, you could recoup similar value. But also if they kept him on the 53-man roster, if they also find a way to either keep Laybourne on the 53 or on the practice squad, then it turns out. Uh, and it works well as well, and they can move Mitchell at the deadline. Another position group that I want to talk about, one that I saw a comment about, tight ends. Um, this is George Kittle. He's the clear one, but of the backups, you, you'd hope for you know some uh, some flash from the the rookie tight ends alongside the veterans. What are you thinking about this position group? Yeah, I'm honestly less interested in what they do. At tight end because it's like four out of five yeah. on who stays, right? It's Kittle, and then it'll be one combination because they like keeping four tight ends, right? They did it in 2019 when they kept Levine Toy Lolo. Um, they did it last they, year too. Right, they did it last year as well. They didn't do it in 2021. I think they only kept three in 2021. I think they kept Dwelly, Kittle, and Warner. So they like keeping four tight ends. Um I, I expect them to keep four tight ends. I think it's really a Warner versus Dwelly battle. I think part of the acquirance of the other two was that they weren't getting anything really from the combination of Warner and Dwelly. Warner had some moments in the run game, right? Chicago game in 2021 comes to mind where he did very well in the run game, but wasn't consistent. And then Dwelly is not great in the run or pass game as a blocker. He's quite slow as a receiver. So he's not exactly relied upon as a guy to beat man coverage and stuff like that. And he's not a great special teamer either. He's a good competitor, but he's not an elite special teamer. So I'm honestly a little less interested. Like my, I'm a little more interested in a couple battles on the defensive side, be it defensive line, what's going on at receiver, especially what's happening at linebacker, nickelback, the end of the corner roster. I'm interested in that, those kinds of stuff, but the tight end battle to me, it's literally just a Ross Dwelly. Will he be able to hang around for a fifth, sixth year on the same team? Or does Charlie Warner get the nod just because he's younger and a draft pick? But yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's likely they keep four out of five at the moment. It seems just as usual. Dwelly is probably on the outside looking in, just like last year. Um, the rookies, I would probably say Braden Willis has looked a little better than Latu early on but it's very minimal reps that you've seen from the tight ends. Um, and again, it's not like one-on-ones just started, but in, a, in in team drills, it's not like they're catching downfield passes. When they right. catch balls, it's balls in the flat. It's check downs. It's different routes like that, especially when it's the backups. Kittle is the only guy who you've seen catch real downfield balls and things like that. Right. What position battles, though, are you keeping your eye on them? Linebacker, for sure. So yeah. I think linebacker is one of the most interesting ones when we – talk about the special teamers that they have versus who they drafted and all of that. So we know Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw make the team. 
I predicted this point last year that Marcelino McCrary Ball would replace Aziz Alshair as the third starter. It sounds like he had an offseason that's trending towards that. Now there's Curtis Robinson, who the 49ers had make their 53-man roster last year before moving him on to IR. They valued him enough to cut somebody else and have him make the roster so that they could hold on to him. He's an ace special teamer. What do you do with him? D. Winters was a draft pick. Jalen Graham was a draft pick. What do you do with them? Demetrius Flanagan Fowles is a good special teamer that you have felt a lot of time developing. And so I think they're going to keep five, and we're at a situation where it's like five out of seven because you have Oren Burks in there too, who was brought in as a special teams ace. And so I, I think this is one of the most interesting position battles when we talk about the depth at the position. I think we could make an argument that all seven players, eight players are worthy yeah. of making this roster just when you look at their talent. Like you could make the argument for Winters and Graham's profile as growth players versus, you know, the special team's value of a Robinson or a Flanagan Fowles or a Burks. And so I think this is one of the most interesting groups to watch out for. This is definitely a group that I'll be watching through the course of preseason because I think up till the fourth quarter, we're going to see a very good player or two playing linebacker for the 49ers. So this is one I'll be monitoring for sure. I think it's one of the most interesting battles on this team, especially when we're talking about keeping five of those guys. Yeah. And you got seven players that are probably capable of making the 53. This is one of the most talented linebacker groups I've seen. This is like, like Vish said, all seven of these players have a good argument to make the 53-man roster. And at the moment, I would say two are locks, one is a likely, and then four are battling out for the final two spots. I think, obviously, Warner and Greenlaw are locks. The likely for me is Oren Burks. He's been implemented with the first-team defense in most right. of the packages, in the sub-packages, and he's also a special teams ace. And the 49ers shifted their MO. They place a significant value in that special teams last year, and right. I, I assume they wanted Burks for two years. I think he's a likely, which leaves Graham, winners, DFF, and Marcelino McCrary Ball, and Curtis Robinson, so five for those final two spots, really, in my opinion. At the moment... Marcelino McCrary Ball, a guy who I was high on um, as an undrafted free agent last year, obviously stood out in camp. I think he's the favorite to win the first of the four, uh, first of the two spots out of the five. Uh, he's just his 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 talent is just exactly what the 49ers look for in a linebacker. It's he's a converted safety played out of uh, played some safety at Indiana. He's a converted safety um, to linebacker, so he's got that safety like closing speed. Right. Really it, it's it's really two things with them. One, it's it's a different speed from the other guys, right? He's yeah. just faster than your Oren Burks and those kinds of guys. And then two, there's a different kind of recklessness with his body. It's Aziz yeah. Alshire-esque where he might not be the guy who actually makes the play, but he gets there first and he roughs the guy up, right? And he brings an energy and an infectious energy that other people feed off of and play to, right? Like a Hufanga, a Greenlaw brings it kind of for sure. So yeah. And the 49ers have some technicians on their team, some really, really stout tacklers. And right. that has allowed them to really go out and find these type of players, these aggressive, wild, reckless type of players who that, – that, that strategy works for them because if you can slow down the guy, somebody else is there to clean it up. And McCrary Ball fits that just like Hufanga fits that. There are, there are certain players like this, and I think that his just – overall talent he's a solid player in coverage i think he could work that role well he's solid in the run game and that he's not afraid to be physical he might mm -hmm. be I, I don't even think he's that small anymore he would he might have no he looks year. yoked doesn't he's he yoked now he looks pretty damn big and so right now i think you know marceline mccrary ball is looking up and then of the other guys i mean demetrius flanagan fouls is a special teamer jalen graham has uh he's the guy i think right now that has flashed a little more out of the rookies between him and d winners i saw a comment he's the guy who i'd say flashed a little more but again it's minimal reps because they're exclusively with the third team because the 49ers still want to see those second teamers in mccrary ball demetrius flanagan foul and curtis robinson they want to see what they can get out of them so they're exclusively right. primarily playing they're the guys rotating with the second and the third team graham winners those guys are primarily on the third team along with 51 Unfortunately, I don't know who that is, but I, I think it's a, a, a recent signing or something like that. But so it's tough to see the rookies. But I will say this. Jalen Graham did have a nice one-on-one -on -one rep against Christian McCaffrey the other day. Um, I personally didn't watch it. Jesse was watching one-on-ones, but McCaffrey was dominating everybody. Jalen Graham, though. Right, he's the best and, route runner on the team. 
Yeah, and he ran stride by stride with McCaffrey on a play, and it was, I mean, it was impressive coverage against a guy of McCaffrey's acumen. I'd say he got the slight edge right now, but it's an interesting. I will out. say, though, it, it's hard to just evaluate it based on practice, right? Because, again, right. the special teams aspect of it. And so Winters or Graham might show more talent than a Robinson, but you might want to keep Robinson because the 15 tackles in the season Robinson's going to make on special teams, you feel like he's going to give you a better chance to win now. And that's where balancing this at the bottom of this roster is important, right? Because like Graham could show potential and all of that, but if you feel like you can hide him on your practice squad just because of what the case is on special teams, like, and that's going to be a part of this competition too, right? Like, are Graham and Winters contributing? Because if they are, then I feel like they would want to go for the younger, cheaper player that they drafted. Because if yeah. those guys play special teams, right, then you can just develop those guys as backups to the very talented starters you have. And that's why prior to camp, I, I said there is a realistic possibility to the 49ers cut not one, but both of their linebackers that they drafted this year, just because of the right. value that a Curtis Robinson or Demetrius Flanagan Feld uh, brings to this team. But the prediction that I will make, I think one of these players gets traded. Um, this is a position group that I feel the 49ers have done well to recoup value and talent. Again, the compensation, I'm not sure, but they've found a way to trade one of those training camp standouts. And I think, you know, if you've got a couple of players standing out, they've got a chance to make one of those guys expendable um, of those bottom four. Find a way to make one of those guys expendable and maybe recoup some extra value. Perhaps. I don't know if they would get too much for those guys. That's the We're question. talking about... Yeah, we're talking about very scheme-specific, undersized run-and-hit linebackers that not every team is going to look at and say, I want that guy. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So we'll see. But I'm excited to see how these guys play in the preseason because not only do I want to see them on special teams, I want to see how their tackling ability truly comes to light, right, in the NFL landscape of things. Because D. Winters, is a, he's, he's the undersized type. How does he play? Because his true, his true talent is his – his uh, instincts and that blazing speed that he's got. That's the biggest things. I think Graham has also got good sideline to sideline speed for the size that he, that he brings, but I want to see how they play in the preseason for sure. Yeah, sure. What's another position group that you've got on your mind for position battles? Nickel. So I I've predicted and I'm sticking by it. I think the three starting corners will be Mooney Ward, the Lenore and Sam Womack. I'm not a okay. big Isaiah Oliver fan. I've never been a big Isaiah Oliver fan. I've not gone back and watched what he did in Atlanta last year. It's been on my to-do list forever, but I just don't have an interest in watching that, to be honest. But um, I've, I I know what the metrics look like, that he had a strong season and all of that. I'm not 100% convinced there. It sounds like Womack has made quite a few strides this offseason. I think Diamondo Lenore is a terrific player. I think he played very well when he played nickel. Last year, even before he ended up becoming the starter after Emmanuel Mosley got hurt at outside cornerback, I think that one or him of Womack are both capable of starting on the outside and the other one is capable of playing nickel. I think Diamond Lenore is probably the best player against the run out of those three guys, in my opinion. He's definitely the most aggressive. He closes quickly. He takes good angles to the football. I mean, the only game I feel like I can remember that he didn't play well against the run was when Josh Jacobs violated him a couple times at Las Vegas when he just didn't close, close the gap on Josh Jacobs as quickly as he should have. And he get, got too much space between him and Josh Jacobs and Josh Jacobs juked him out of his shoes. But I think Lenore is a terrific player. Um, I think uh, Womack is a talented player as well. I'm interested to see what happens at the bottom of this roster too, because Steve Milks generally is supposed to like some more press man guys. And that's Ambry Thomas's bread and butter. Amory Thomas was not very good last year, right? Oh, if he wasn't a third-round pick, he's probably gone. I, I don't know if there was ever a greater emphasis when Janoris Jenkins signed off the street on Thursday and was playing in the game Sunday before Ambry Thomas. That's problematic to where Ambry Thomas's spot was on the roster, but now he's got like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And so I'm just interested to see how it plays out. I don't think – I think there's – Way overblown structural changes to the defense. People did the same thing when D'Amico and Salas, which, oh, D'Amico's going to bring pressure. No. The Niners' defense runs and functions a certain way, not because D'Amico and Salah have a vision for what the defense is. It's because it's Kyle Shanahan's vision 
on how they play defense. And they're going to follow that. And Steve Wilkes is going to follow that. Now they might be a little bit more creative in their pressures, right? D'Amico brought sim pressures, usually bringing the nickel, taking one guy out the back, stuff like that. They might bring linebackers, bring Fred Warner, Rush Greenlaw, do stuff like that a little bit more. So the pressures on third down might have variances, but generally we're going to see them as a structural four down with that wide nine front, right? The three linebackers, and then they're going to play three deep or quarters behind it on first and second down. They're going to be very, very structurally sound. That's what they're going to do. And along those same lines, I expect the starting corners to be Sam Womack, Mooney Ward, and Diamador Lenore when the time comes. I think Isaiah Oliver is the ultimate insurance as a veteran, but yeah, I, I think those three guys will be the guys. That's a bold prediction for the reason that right now the 49ers, it seems like they've shifted their their thought process early on at least about how they're going to use Sam Womack this year. Right, I he's playing on the outside, right? He, yeah, he hasn't taken a rep in the nickel, and it seems right now that the second nickel, the second nickel has kind of been occupied by a variety of players. Quantrez Knight has probably seen the most action, but it seems like they're going to try and move Deshaun Jameson into the nickel, give him some opportunity with the second team. But I, because just because we see Womack on the outside, I'm not going to shut out the possibility of him playing in the nickel. I think they're comfortable with him in the nickel. He also looks bigger. I'll say this: he does look mm-hmm. a little bigger this year for sure. But I do think that they value him as the top insurance should Mooney Ward or should, um, you know, uh, Diameter Lenore miss games. Ambry Thomas, I just feel bad for the guy. Um, he's gotten a lot of opportunity. Um, he's even run with the first team over Samuel Womack at times. You know, the 49ers have done an interesting thing, at least yesterday, where they, they balanced the first and second team. So Lenore ran with Ambry Thomas. Womack ran with Charverius Ward at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they balance just continues to get targeted and targeted and targeted whenever he's on the field. He even has good coverage on plays. It's just, you know, the receivers are getting their way with him. And at the moment, at least it looks like they prefer Luter. Um, you know, it, they wanted to give Thomas an opportunity, but they drafted another press corner into Terrell Luter, who right now seems like he'll probably be the guy for them unless they carry six. But as for Womack on the inside, I'm curious to see, do they do they provide him any reps in that position in training camp? If not, do they provide him those reps in preseason? Because right now it seems like they've got Oliver as a firm guy in the at, at nickel, and it might truly be because he's a Steve Wilkes preference because the reason Oliver right, is right. because Steve Wilkes is the guy. And and because, because they're bringing the nickel maybe a little bit less and blitzing the linebackers, they might prefer someone who's a little steadier in man coverage at nickel. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. For me, Womack is like, and this came to me last offseason, and I've kind of saved it, so I'll share it here on your show. It's kind of like their second chance at DJ Reed, right? DJ Reed is a mm. terrific starting corner now. Um, I, Look, I don't think there's similar players, but physically it's the same profile for me. Right. When five I watch nine. Womack kind of longer, even though they're only 5'9", kind of yoked up to the max at 190, 91, 92 pounds where they're maxed frame and then they move i think womack might be a little bit quicker reed is probably a little more explosive a little bit stronger definitely maybe and they're both really feisty football players and so i i i'm still high on that ceiling i understand that there might be a preference there but i don't know i think things are still subject to change i think both of those players are very talented i think diameter lenore especially is sniffing that second contract and I think he's in the kind of shape where he's positioning himself to earn that second contract. And so I, I'm expecting big things. Again, it's also just I have a prior opinion of Isaiah Oliver that stems from a couple of years ago that's not the uh, highest there. So that's part of why I'm predicting what I'm predicting. It might have nothing to do with what's actually going on, right? But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll 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 definitely see, and I'm I'm interested to see even if Oliver struggles, what they end up doing at that position, because I'm not gonna say he hasn't struggled, I would say in camp, but he hasn't necessarily flashed either. He's just been there, and it's interesting because um, the 49ers gave him an interesting challenge. They they they're they're implementing Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk in the slot in certain mm-hmm. packages, and both of them have gotten a few catches on Womack, uh, or not on Womack, on Oliver when in the slot. That's an interesting battle, though, for sure. Um, not only at the bottom, seeing how that will configure out, but also at the top, um, how that nickel package will go. 
I think the last position we probably got to talk about is the most loaded on the team, and that's uh, defensive line. You know, defensive line is a very interesting group this year, and it just makes it even funnier that the 49ers brought Taco Charlton off the streets on Tuesday, and the guy was an immediate standout. I mean, he he dominated against the second and third team on Tuesday, had a sack in uh, in 11s, won both of his reps in, in one-on-ones. Interesting guy. What do you think about the defensive line heading uh, heading into preseason? Yeah, I I think I think the group is a little bit more cut and dry, even though there are like eight or nine or ten or eleven or twelve like very capable players on the group, right? Like I think we have a good idea of the Bose is going to make it, Javon Hargrave is going to make it, Eric Armstrong is going to make it, Javon Kinlaw is going to make it, right? Um, then you get to like Carrie Hyder, Cleland Furl, Alex Barrett, Taco Charlton, and that's Kevin Givens. And I feel like we know in those names, there's probably three or four, right? Like, I think we expect Givens to make it. We expect Cleland Furl to make it. There's Austin Bryant. So there's a few names there. I, I'm interested to see what happens at the end of the roster. I think what happens at the end of the roster is going to be less about who, is the best player and who is realistically practice squad. Yeah. Who will clear waivers and get to the practice squad and who they have to keep. Like remember last year, Tomiko, what's his name? I said, Kimoko Toure. Kimoko Toure. Like everybody, Oh, the best preseason player ever. Blah, blah, blah. And they cut him and it was like, bring Kimoko Toure back. And nobody wanted Kimoko Toure for the entire off season. Right? Like it took forever for somebody to sign him and all of that. And so that's where I think that's what's going to happen at the bottom of the roster. We're going to see somebody get a couple sacks in preseason that everybody's going to be like, hey, see, that's the guy. That's the guy. Everybody, see, see, he's the best player, blah, blah, blah. He's going to get caught. Nobody's going to want him. And it's going to be one of those situations for sure with their D-line. But I think the Cleveland Furls, the Kevin Givens, the Javon Kinlaws, when we're talking backups, the per one between Austin Bryant and – uh Alex Barrett, and those kind of guys will probably make it. Kalia Davis, those guys will make it for sure. I will say this. The reason I bring up defensive line is my stance has shifted a little bit on Kalia Davis, who is a guy who I believed would make the roster prior to training camp. Davis has not been in there. He has been a third-teamer when when he's practiced, which is understandable. You've got Armstead, Hargrave. You've got Kinlaw, uh, Kevin Givens, but a lot of other players have eclipsed him. Alex Barrett has slowly crept up in there. Um, uh, T.Y. McGill has slowly crept up in right, there I as well. I forgot about him. He's a good player too. That's another guy. And at the moment, I mean, Kalia Davis did not practice yesterday. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it was an injury or something like that. At the moment, it seems the 49ers are positioning themselves to potentially have him as a practice squad player. Again, roster politics could come into play. If they don't believe he'll clear waivers, Alex Barrett. How healthy is waivers. he? How healthy is he? He's looked. I mean, he hasn't flashed, but does that's he get stuck on pup? That's that. That's. I mean, that's another good question. Um, because yeah. he's practiced. Who, who's the healthy guy they're gonna stick on pup? Right. My guess is that corner, Deshaun Jameson, they the could. undrafted corner. Yeah, they could. You know, uh, bone bruise is what popped right. up before. We right, Darrell Luter. Right. Remember yeah. the mysterious injury Tim Harris got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely could happen. But um, I think that, you know, roster politics could come into play if they truly like Kalia Davis and his potential. Because a guy like Alex Barrett, he's a good player. You can cut him, bring him on the practice squad, and then immediately elevate him for whatever game you want to elevate him. Right. The guys I mean, the Niners, there's going to be a couple guys that the Niners do that with, right? Like, does anybody remember that it was Malik Turner? That was one yeah. of those veterans elevated one. week one, week two, right? Like, nobody remembers him anymore. And so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Any other position battles that you got on your mind that uh, are intriguing you for training camp? Yeah, the back half of what's going to happen at receiver. Mm, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting right? one. Yeah. Like I between mean, one, do they keep five? Do they keep six? What happens there? That's right? the biggest question. I think that's the yeah. biggest one. Like Because if they keep five, personally, I believe it's the same five as last year. The sixth, one, the sixth one is where you really bring it to interpretation because Chris Conley has been an early standout. I think he's won a good amount of reps and re- developed a rapport with – So there's our Malik Turner. But there's our Malik Turner because Chris right. Conley is a guy you can cut, you can bring back, he can come up for week one because you've got players like Ronnie Bell, a seventh-round pick, who he's he's seen some action. You know, he's been in and out of there, a guy who you could – 
you could play Tay Martin. He's another guy who has, I think, built on his training camp from last year, apart right. from, um, you know, the fight um, in training camp where he was, he was in there. Um, you know, I think he's had a good, he's had yeah. a good start to training camp. He's another player that could fit in that role. So I think that those are the three probably biggest options. I don't expect any, un, uh, you know, I don't expect any change with the top five. I think those are your three biggest guys, but yeah, uh, the five or six, that's a, that's a, that's a big one for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. For sure. Who and it, it, it's interesting because there's some draft equity wrapped up with Danny Gray, who was the third round pick, Ray Ray McLeod, right. who was a free agent signing, but they have an out on his contract because it was a two year deal. That's actually a one year deal because they're year by year with him. And so it's like if somebody else so shows special teams value, now the pressure gets put on how much do you value Ray Ray as a receiver? How like I know that there's some positive, you know, momentum for Ronnie Gray. Well, how positive is that momentum in terms of? being able to get him to the practice squad versus will somebody else pick him up versus how valuable do you think he is as a developmental prospect? There's some really great conversations at the end of this roster between linebacker, receiver, um, corner, um, even defensive line that I would say are, are, would be great conversations if this quarterback circus wasn't, you know, taking up so much of our time having to right. talk about it. But yeah, there's like, there's decisions where there's going to be some very good players that, you know, would probably make 53s in a lot of different places that are going to be cut. And we're going to be talking about and seeing how competitive it is to make one of those roster spots 35 through 53 on this roster. No, I agree. Before we head on out, do want to answer some of your guys' questions. One here, do you think Danny Gray takes a Richie James type leap in year two? I know it's huge shoes to fill. Um, 49ers desperately missed the impact Richie provided on the field at all times. What do you think about Danny Gray? In, uh, yeah, if he could learn to backflip after wins, he would be a key contributor there. Danny Gray is an interesting one because um, they, they've given him the opportunity this year. He's, he's seen run at times. The 49ers mix everybody in with the ones when it comes to skill position. They So they've mixed him in with the ones, mixed him in with the twos, the threes. They've seen him everywhere. Um, you know, he's had a solid start to camp. Uh, it depends on Truly, how does he match up against NFL-level talent with his route-running capabilities, and how does that affect his speed? Same questions that came out of the right. draft, which we'll see in preseason. He w he was a very under-polished player in terms yeah. of even how he used his speed to run routes, how he right. ran routes, and just in terms of – I mean, he was a physical player after the catch, but he would get bodied out of certain situations and stuff like that. And so – um, I think that it, it's uh, in a very interesting situation because, again, we're talking about kind of a Trey Lance situation at receiver where it's like the team can't wait for him to develop, but he's a talented player that you can give time to that could ultimately develop into a contributor because he has this innate skill that not everybody has, right? Like his speed is game-changing, different kind of, like he'll be the fastest player in most games type of speed, which you don't see every day, and so... It'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I, it's, it's very intriguing, man. It's very intriguing. If we didn't talk about the quarterback so much, I would probably be a lot more interested and invested in some of this stuff. I'm still gonna be once preseason comes around and all of that. But yeah, obviously, there's way too much time spent on talking about these quarterbacks. And can you blame us? There's, yeah. I mean, it's the most relevant topic here. I, I agree. Second one here, real quick. Carlos asking, what have you seen from Drake? Jack Hammer said today he doesn't see Drake as a guy who can get more than about six sacks a year. Drake has been interesting. I mean, he was a guy who I thought flashed early. And, he, he like, there are certain players who you definitely keep your eye on. Drake Jackson from day one because he was, you know, without Nick Bosa, he's the top defensive end going mm -hmm. up against these tackles. Another guy is Colton McKivitz, and I thought Colton McKivitz is impressed so far. Drake impressed early. He has seen then his fair share of ups and downs i mean he uh, the the big thing for him is i think disengaging from some of those blocks when he's uh, when he's a pass rusher the speed is there the bend was really what what caught me because he's able to bend right under he's speed. a special bender yeah for sure and that's really like he's able to bend under trent williams's protection and then use his speed but truly to me it's can he uh how, how does that strength come in play um, because I think that that's really what's going to define his ceiling as a pass rusher. And I think that that's something you develop as well over the years. Yeah, I think it's too early to say how many yeah. sacks he's going to get and stuff like that. Like, I remember people like two days ago before pads even came on, were like, oh, he's going to be a big superstar. And it's like, yo, chill. Pads haven't come on. We haven't seen, 
you know, exactly. what happens when they actually lock on. And then, you know, once pads come on, right, we go into like, this guy's good, this guy is bad. And then two weeks later, the attrition of camp, the, you know, day after day, the sessions, the wear and tear of it and all of that. Next thing you know, you don't hear that guy's name in camp for the next 12 days. So I, I, I respect the crap out of Jack's work, but I, I would chill on deciding how many sacks he's going to get because I think he's the kind of player that as he keeps getting reps, as he keeps getting practice reps, we're going to see him grow throughout the season, right? Like think about where Aaron Banks started last exactly. year at camp after changing his body and think about the confidence and the growth that happened throughout the season, down after down, practice after practice, rep after rep. And he was a completely changed player. This is the kind of thing we're going to see from Drake Jackson grow because he has this immense physical skill set and he's being coached by one of the best. So I would chill on deciding whether he's going to get six sacks, four sacks, three sacks, seven sacks next year, because we're talking about a player that's week to week going to be growing. And yeah, we might not, we don't know where he's going to be at the end of the year for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But Vish, that comment right there is going to be what caps off today's show. Phenomenal show. I really appreciate your time coming on, giving your thoughts. Any last thoughts before we head on out of here? No, dude, I had a great time. This was awesome. Um, I had an enjoyable time reading some of the comments earlier, too. I saw one of the comments was like, yo, I thought you guys were the same people for the longest time. I don't know whether to be flattered or, uh, you know, somewhat insulted because uh, there's some other connotations there. But yeah, I had a great time doing this with you. Um, we should do this sometime soon again for sure. You're definitely one of my favorite follows uh, during training camp time. I appreciate how you keep it unbiased. I appreciate the speed in which you get information out. I feel like everybody else is good for a couple of tweets of practice and you're good for seven or eight. And you're killing it right now. Um, and I hope to be, I guess, kind of following in those footsteps that you've set up here and killing it as well in the future. Now, I mean, you, you've done a great job, obviously now uh, on your own YouTube channel, break, breaking out in that Vish though, appreciate your time and everything that you do. We'll be back soon. And I mean, yeah, we'll definitely link up another stream in the near future chat. Thank you as always for all the comments, all your questions and just keeping the energy um, after the early uh, stream comments, but we appreciate it so much and we'll be back soon with some more content. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.